Heavenly Father, we just come before you and we want to thank you for each praise and thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for caring about even the smallest things. And Lord, that we can trust you and we can know that you are working in our lives. You are leading us. And Lord, that the creator God of the universe takes time to care about us as individuals and about our little church here in New York City. Lord, we're thankful for all the work that you're doing at Union Baptist Church and, and Morris Park. And Lord, the work that is being done. And, and uh, Lord, we're, we're thankful even for the bumps along the way and the frustration because we can then again clearly see the unseen hand of God moving and making things happen. Lord, we just want to say we love you and we thank you for all that you've done and answered prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Before we uh, sing the next song, we just got one little item of it. Uh, will probably be the last real lesson in this series as we try to summarize things and, and deal with the impact uh, of, the, of the facts in our lives. Um, I tried not to get too tedious the last time we went through this. We actually had pictures of the different manuscripts and, and how you could see the differences. And, and uh, just to give you one idea, I met a man actually that wrote a thousand-page thesis on jots and tittles. I kid you not, I saw it, a, a thousand pages. Uh, it was his doctrinal thesis, and he was trying to deal with the difference uh, because the, Jesus said not one jot nor one tittle would disappear from the wall till all be fulfilled. And yet scholars today are arguing over what jots and tittles are. And... Uh, I frankly don't have time to even read a thousand-page thesis on what jots and tittles might or might not be. Uh, I really, really and truly believe that God would much rather have us work on living what the Bible says than trying to figure out all of these highly technical and uh, quote-unquote scholarly ideas here. But if you're going to have a good translation, you must have a good source. I hope that's one thing that uh, has come about here. Uh, we have a good source. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God gave us this book called the Bible... And uh, we can rest assured that the text we hold in our hand in English is the same text that Moses wrote at the foot of Mount Sinai in Hebrew. Uh, we can go through the evidence that is there. But if you have a bad source or a weak source, what are you going to get? You're going to get a bad translation. Uh I was going through my notes, and uh, I updated them a little bit for tonight. How about the news 
about the performance of our current president. Uh, when is the last time you heard anybody in the news say something good about President Donald Trump? Is any, anybody... I, I would love to know. Uh, now, I know on some of the conservative talk shows they talk about good things that he has done. But if you watch the evening news... When's the last time you heard something good about our president? But I'll tell you what, he's done some very good things. And he uh, was totally involved with what is going on there in Texas. And I have every, we should have every reason to believe that he's going to do what is good. But don't expect to hear it in the news. Uh, and... Honestly, we have that same attitude and that same philosophy. It was uh, Karl Marx and his ilk that said, if you uh, scream the lie loud enough and long enough, it will become truth. Uh, certainly, the philosophy of Adolf Hitler and his people and, and people like that down through the ages. And, and I'm not trying to connect... Uh, people who use modern translations to Adolf Hitler, but what I'm simply saying is the propaganda, the news media there, the, the, the information is overwhelming. But that doesn't mean that it's truth. See, over 90% of, closer to 95% of everything that we have that makes up evidence from the Bible agrees with this one. And yet, this is the only translation in the English language that's available today that does not use, that rejects the minority text, that 5 to 8% of the manuscripts. Uh, over 66% of all quotations of the Bible that we have extant before 500 A.D., agree with this text. The text from which this Bible came was not really laid aside, and even today it's not fully laid aside because we still use it and many other people do, but it was not subjugated, it was not uh, subverted is actually the word I was looking for, until 1881. So what you really have to believe, if you believe the modern texts are superior, is that the church and all of history did not have a good Bible until 1881. And by the way, the translation that was made in 1881 only exists in museums today. Nobody uses that one. Uh, the translation of choice, I think, today is the ESV, English Standard Version, or something like that. And uh, uh, that, that is a truly recent translation. Now, the critical text, or the minority text, or the uh, text from which the other 153 translations come from, no two manuscripts are in solid agreement. You couldn't even classify them. The reason they're in a family together is not because they agree with each other, but because they disagree with the majority text. That's important. Do you get that? It, it, the reason these manuscripts are even called 
a family is not because they agree with each other. It's because they disagree with this. That's the only reason they're used. And the majority of the quotations that we have in history, yes, we have old quotations of the corrupt or minority text. There's no question about that. It was in use. In fact, um, most of the corruption of the text happened before 250 A.D. Uh, It happened very early on. It just wasn't used. It wasn't revived until modern history. And yet, the people who quoted this perverted text, church fathers who gave no evidence of a true understanding of even the simplest Bible doctrines. Marcion could not be saved. Neither could Origen. Uh, If they believed what they wrote, Clement of Alexandria was a complete and total heretic, denied the deity of Jesus Christ, the authority of the local church. Everything we believe, he didn't. And yet, this is the people that were quoting this perverse text. And the only way that they can get this critical or minority text into use is they have to change the laws of the evidence. And so, in order, this is the source. Uh, The only way they can change the source is to change the rules of evidence. Meaning that the 90%, actually it's closer to 95, is only one voice. And the 20 or so dissident voices in the minority text are 20 equal voices with the 90%. Now, that, those rules of evidence are not applied in any other situation except for evolution. Isn't it interesting that communism is another one, I guess? All of the rules of evidence, all of the rules of sanity are ignored so that they can embrace their foregone conclusions. Now, when we talk about how it's translated, I want you to see the difference here. And I'm trying to move quickly here, but our Bible was translated on a word for word meaning on grammar and overall context of the passage. The translators believed that you can translate something from one language into another. Now, is that an amazing postulate there or unprovable statement? How many of you speak more than one language? How many of you can completely understand what is going on in both or the languages that you speak? You see, this is a very simple, honest rule. But when we get to the modern translations, they deny that rule. I I remember sitting in a classroom with, with professors saying, you cannot truly translate from one language into another. We'll get, I'm getting ahead of myself here. And uh, 
the, the rules of the traditional translation are you cannot change structure. If it is a question in the Hebrew or the Greek, then it must be phrased as a question in the English. Is that such an amazing thing? Uh, we would take that for granted. In fact, this is how they do that every time they have a meeting at the United Nations. They'll translate one person's statement who may be addressing the council of the United Nations, especially when it's in full council, and they'll translate that statement into over 150 different languages. And they believe that everyone that is there is understanding what this one person is speaking in all those different languages at the same time. I don't have a problem with that, do you? But, but our modern translators really do. And, and then, if you're going to truly translate something, you have to have freedom to arrange the words in an order to carry the most complete message from the original. Uh, I believe in, in Spanish, the nouns always come first and the adjectives come after, or is it the other way around? I can't remember. Uh, uh, in certain languages, the verb always comes first, and then the action. And, and, <coughs> and uh, I remember listening to professors teach that if you did a word-for-word -word translation, no one would understand anything. Well, that's just simply not true. You can translate word for word. In fact, if you're going to do it, uh, I like what McNeil Lerner uh, News Hour said about the King James. Not only did the translators artfully translate, they made it sing, is what they said about the King James. It, it is the most quotable book in the English language. That's uh, what their synopsis of it. That's how our Bible was translated. It was translated word for word. It was translated inside the structure. Now, here's how modern translations. You see... Their postulate, their number one statement is, no one can truly translate from one language to another. Therefore, you can have no definitive or authoritative word. The, uh, many of the translators, are, their, their concern is not with words, it's with ideas. Well, who determines the ideas? Well, the translators do, of course. And the structure doesn't need to be carried over. We're just trying to get the idea across. Well, how can you get the idea across if you change the foundation and the structure in which the original uh, speaker uh, determined to uh, get that idea across? And uh, here's some of the different types here. The, the one is called... Uh, Formal equivalence, that is a literal word-for-word -word translation. And, of course, this cannot be done because it would make no, new, it would make no sense. Uh, it would be controlled by the words, 
And this is what the translator said. We need to break the, domi- uh, the domination of the words. Do you get what they're saying? We cannot be bound, if we're really going to translate the Bible, we cannot be bound by the words. But if we'll go back to Psalm chapter 12, what did David, as he was writing under the influence, it says, the words of the Lord are pure. It says God would preserve his words. And yet the translator says we cannot be bound by the domination of words. Do you see how they're breaking the authority of the words and they become an authority unto themselves? Uh, the NIV is a fine example of this. The, the dynamic equivalence. It is not word for word. It's thought for thought. And many have taken it a step even further. Uh, uh, there, there was a translation called the Good News Bible that was done by the Southern Baptist Convention back in the 70s that included profanity and, and cursing because they wanted to get the idea crossed. And, of course, the reason we call it profanity is because the person using it isn't bright enough to understand real words to use to convey the thought. Amen? And so now we have people translating the Bible, especially translations like the message and some of these other things that have come along. We have a whole group of people who are resumptive masculine pronouns are wrong. We must include all genders. And... There, there are even some that have gone so far as to call God both mother and father. The, the mother, father, God. And uh, do I need to tell you how wrong and stupid that is? I mean, wow. Where, where do we come here? You see, we find evidence to fit it. It is what we call subjective evidence. That's where you get four Isaiahs and three Moseses and all of these kind of crazy things that you will find in the commentaries. And it is so easy to find evidence to agree with you if you're the one picking and choosing truth. You know what? You don't get to pick and choose. Uh, Isn't that what they've said in the last presidential uh, debate was, you don't get to pick your own facts. Uh, I, I, I think actually Hillary said that. And uh, do I need to comment on that? I mean, that's a woman that wouldn't know what facts were if you handed them to her. In fact, she'd probably be offended. That happened in a debate, too, uh, here in New York State. The, the simple truth of the matter is, You can have a simple, honest, word-for-word translation. Or, you get into this complex, unbelievably uh, subjective, choosing and discarding evidence as it fits 
your standard. In fact, you'll find some great parallels in the writers of evolution and the proponents of evolution uh, as they do the same thing with scientific facts as the modern translators have done with the Bibles. So I want you to turn over your page here and uh, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And one of our, our standard verses here, if you do not have this verse memorized, you, you really do need to do so. Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, Truly furnished unto all good works. This is the purpose of your Bible. And, and I want you to understand something. We live in a cafeteria-style society where people will pick and choose what they want. Uh, I want you to understand that doctrine does not come in individual slips that I get to pick and choose what I want and build my own religion. It comes in systems. If you believe in an authoritative creator God, as the Bible describes him, you cannot believe in evolution at the same time. Unless you're multi-personality, then one personality can believe this and, the, and they can fight with each other and you can have all kinds of fun. But uh, as I'm simply trying to illustrate by absurdity here, you must leave the realm of sanity in order to do that. You cannot have mutually exclusive truth. It doesn't work. If we choose to believe what the Bible says about this Creator, then we must deny evolution as a fantasy and in a, a, a thing that man has invented. Just a listing of some of the major. You have Orthodox theology from the Orthodox Church. This would be the Greek Orthodox, the Russian Orthodox, um, the Coptic Church, and the, um, oh, I'm going to forget some of them. There are about five different branches in the Orthodox uh, circle, and uh, they have their own patriarchs and their own set of traditions, yet they go back to a common root. It's historically traceable. We have Catholic theology, which separated from Orthodox theology, the Great Schism 1098, and, and uh, uh, the uh, Catholic Church divided east and west. The Eastern, of course, was the Orthodox, and the um, Western is what we call Roman Catholic. Their theology comes in a system if you're going to accept it. Uh, I, I've often met people that claim to be Roman Catholic, and they'll say, Oh, I don't believe in the Pope, and I don't believe in the priest, and I don't believe in the confessions, and I don't do this, and I, I don't believe... You know, I, and, and I always challenge them and say, Go tell your priest that. And see what he does. Go, go to your church and tell them you don't believe in these things and see how long you last there. I said, they're going to throw you out on your ear because you claim to be something and reject the major tenets of that religion, Calvinism. 
is a, a theological system. God becomes the ultimate, uh, whatever we would call, bingo player. He puts all the beads in there, rolls them down, and pulls out the, oh, this one goes to heaven and this one goes to hell. Now, no Calvinist would accept such a sarcastic definition of their belief, but that's the bottom line of Calvinism, that God chooses your eternal destiny and chooses your sin, actually ordaining every act of your entire life. That's why we reject Calvinism. It is a system. We do not accept even one point of Calvinism. Are the Calvinists wrong about everything? No. The Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church accept a triune God as the Bible describes Him. But every other doctrine they believe denies what the Bible says about God. The Roman Catholic Church, where would Jesus be? without his mother to help him out. Now, that kind of sarcasm, I'm sorry, is very offensive to some, but those of you that used to be a part of that Roman Catholic system know exactly what I'm talking about when I make it the statement that way. Now, don't you? It's, it's a theological system, and we get into uh, all of the multitudes of cults and isms But the issue that we're trying to deal with here is the origin, translation, and preservation of our King James Bible. An honest examination of the evidence tells us that you can trust every word that's printed in your King James Bible. But how does that play out? You know, we are... uh, And I don't suggest chasing these things down on the Internet and stuff like that. But when you look for churches that would hold to a simple King James only position, not in every situation, always exceptions to the rules, but 98% of the time you're going to find an independent Baptist church. There is no mainline denomination. The Southern Baptists have given up on this book a generation ago. There are many independent Baptists that no longer hold to a King James-only position. The Bible college I went to, when I graduated in 1986, they said in their doctrinal statement, we hold to a King James-only position. Yet the only professor who taught that in the Bible college wasn't in the Bible department. Uh, kind of weird. But now today you go there and show up with one of these and they'll laugh you off the campus as being ignorant and illiterate and old-fashioned and all of those things. That's one of the reasons we support Heartland. is because they still hold to that. But... You go to the Methodist, you go to any other mainline group. The Jehovah's Witnesses up until the 1970s only used the King James Bible until they came up with their own translation that had a few additions in there that helped out Jehovah's Witness doctrine. Um, And so 
what we're what the point I'm trying to say here is it's it's interesting if you want to look for churches and people that hold to a solid authority of God's word in the English language you're almost exclusively confined to the realm of independent Baptist churches like this one. You're not going to find a tongue-speaking church. It would be an extreme exception, exception that holds to a King James-only position. Uh, you're not going to find uh, Methodist. They gave up on the authority of the Bible uh, the mainline Methodists back in the 30s, Presbyterians, you're going to find very, uh, if you do, it's not part of the mainline denomination. It would be a very strange individual indeed. There are some doctrines that just aren't found in churches that hold to this. And this is the point I'm trying to make, this melding together of denominations, this breaking of denominational barriers. This goes first. Then that comes in. A church that holds to this book as its authority cannot engage in a melding together or a lessening of denominational or doctrinal barriers. Why? All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. What's the next one? Reproof. You know, if you really believe this book, you're going to know the difference between what is right and what is wrong, what is biblical and what is not. And you're not going to accept what is not biblical. And that forces you out of this category of churches that refuse this thing. I have never met someone who has embraced Calvinism in any of its forms that has stood resolutely on a King James-only position. If you're going to embrace a Calvinistic theology, you have to get rid of this book first. You know why? Because you have to change words in here so that you can manipulate your Bible to agree with the medieval lawyer, John Calvin. You cannot just take a Bible and end up a Calvinist. You have to change it. There are churches that hold to the King James-only position and use contemporary Christian music. But I will tell you this. You find a church that really believes this book, and 90% of the time they're not going to have that worldly music in their church. Because this book teaches against it. it you're going to find some exceptions... We still believe in biblical separation. That's why I said you're not going to find the doctrine of personal worldliness. When you start joining with other denominations, you're going to lower your standard of what is acceptable as righteous. 
that's one of the reasons why we, I make such a big deal about this Bible, because holding to the authority of this text changes a lot of foregone conclusions in your daily life. I do not know of any church using modern versions that refuses to accept alien immersion. And by what we mean by that is baptism in a church that doesn't practice the Bible the same way we do. We've had two men get baptized this summer. Uh, One was just last week. And I talked with John and I said, the church you come from does not share our doctrinal positioning, though it has Baptist on the name. He says, oh, that's not easy. I said, I can't disagree with you there. That's why I'm leaving. Those guys are crazy over there. And I'm saying, well, I wouldn't use the word crazy. Wrong, yeah. Uh, uh, and, And I said, listen, we're asking you to identify with the church And it's doctrine. Why? Because all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You know, a careful study of this book doesn't leave a lot of things up for your personal opinion, now does it? Hello? Uh, it's Jesus defined it very well in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a narrow road now, isn't it? But I love to quote David in Psalm 119. I find thy commandment exceeding broad. It says, I have more freedom in the narrow way than I would if I were walking down the broad road and could do whatever I want. You know, the most terrible thing you can do to a child is let them be their own parent. Let them make their own decisions. The greatest thing a parent can do is train up a child in the way they should go. That's what the Bible teaches now, isn't it? It works. They have to make decisions when they're adults. And we're not talking about robots. We're talking about teaching our children how to understand and live. You're just not going to find those things in churches and denominations that have cast aside the authority of this book. Just a couple quick questions. Psalm chapter 12 says that the words of the Lord would be preserved from this generation forever. Now, I believe it's talking about the words of the Lord. Where are you going to find those words preserved? I was standing in line to graduate Bible college in May of 1986. And uh, the man standing behind me in line, we both graduated together that night. And somehow, as we were entering the, the auditorium to 
for graduation, we got into a conversation on Bible versions. And, and I just simply said, well, where is, where is your Bible then? He said, it's in all the translations. It's in all the manuscripts. God's Word is in everything that claims to be God's Word. So, okay, so what happens when God's Word disagrees with God's Word? Oh, it doesn't. Oh, okay. So, that was the end of the conversation, but the point I want to make is, so what happened to the uh, um, uh, Sinaiticus manuscript where one place it was scraped and written over 17 different times in five different centuries? Somebody obviously thought something was wrong enough to scrape the entire words off of the uh, skin that it was written on and write something else under it. On, I mean, on, over top of it. And, and so where do you go? Where are you going to find it? Jesus also promised the perpetuity of his church. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Isn't it interesting that the only place you find a church with any regularity or consistency at all holding to an authoritative word is in the independent Baptist group. Trace the history and the usage of the real Bible and you'll find the history of the real church. Someone said, well, you mean all those people are wrong? Well, what did the Bible say? Let God be true and, does anybody remember the rest of that quote? All men be liars. God understood that that was going to be an argument. You see, I have seen personally in my lifetime what has happened to the Bible college I attended to, that I attended churches that I once visited, when they put this aside and embraced this universal truth of Bible existence, they lost their Baptist distinctives. They lost their separation from the world. They lost so many things. They've wholly embraced purpose-driven Christianity in all of its foolishness and folly. It was the inventor of the Willow Creek movement who was once quoted about four or five years ago saying, you know, I think we got it a little wrong. Our Christianity is, is, is just coming up shallow. Uh, duh, you were the guy that wanted to have a Broadway show on Saturday night instead of a church service. And you wonder why you're shallow. There, there's no thought process in that. You lay aside this book and you're going to end up in the wrong place. That's why it's so important that we stick to the Word of God. That we do not change it. We ask it to change us. And by the way, there's not a one of us in this room that couldn't use a great deal of changing. Could we say amen to that? And we want this to be our authority.
We do not worship the leather and the ink. But if we're going to worship the God who gave it to us, we better pay attention to his words. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight, and Lord, we ask that you would help us to stand. Not just because that's what Grandpa did, or Brother Clayton, or some person a hundred years ago. Lord, we pray that you would help us to stand on the Word of God because the evidence demands it. Your Word demands an authoritative, preserved copy to be handed down till Jesus comes back. Lord, help us as a church not to waste our time looking for your Word, but to invest our time reading, Memorizing, understanding, and most importantly of all, living what the words of this book tell us to do. We'll take just a moment. If you'd like to pray in your seat there or however, and then we'll get into our prayer time tonight.